Hey, how's it going? I'm Andy Jones, and this is episode 104 of the Photography Side Hustle podcast. In this episode, I'm going to cover three problems that have come up this week. So let's get started with number one. That came in the form of an audio message from Joel in Northern California. So let's have a listen to that. Hi, Andy. It's Joel from Northern California. Really love the podcast. I had a question for you about um, getting clear, in-focus pictures of kids um, indoors or in low-light situations, um, you know, given that they move a lot. And um, I find in that situation, a lot of times the photos are out of focus. I'm not sure if it's because I'm focusing and then, um, and then they're moving. And so the focal point is changing or if it's my, um, my shutter speed, maybe a combination of both. So if you had any techniques, um, I'd really appreciate it that with my iPhone in that same situation, they're always in focus, but it's an ugly shot. So I was hoping, um, you could give some advice. Um, I'm shooting with a, Pentax um, full frame K1 Mark II. Thank you. Thanks for that question, Joel. The settings you need to be using in a low light situation, like in your living room, for instance, are continuous autofocus is the first thing that you need to set up. Now, I don't know what the name Pentax uses for that. For Canon, it's AI Servo. And Nikon, I think, is AFC, Autofocus Continuous, I think it stands for. You want the camera to constantly be keeping the kids in focus as they move, or anyone in focus. You can't use the one shot. You'd be really struggling if they're moving further away or coming closer to you. You need to use the continuous autofocus. The next setting to change is your aperture. You will need your lens wide open to get as much light onto the center as possible. So if you've got a a lens that'll go to 1.4 or 2.8 or 1.8, that would be perfect. If you're using an 18 to 55 kit lens, the widest aperture you can use is 3.5 when the lens is at 18 millimeters. At 55 millimeters, the widest aperture shrinks down to f5.6, and this can lead to very grainy photos. And I'll explain about that shortly. Next, you need to choose a shutter speed that will freeze the kids moving around. So a shutter speed of 1 250th of a second or 320 maybe should be good enough to capture the kids with no blurring. Now you need to look at the exposure meter and balance it. The chances are that it's going to be underexposed, so you're going to need to turn the ISO up until the meter is balanced. So if your ISO is at 100, you might need to turn it all the way up to 3200 or even 6400 to get the marker to the center of the meter. If your best available aperture is 3.5 or 5.6, like I said with the kit lens, the ISO might need, well, the ISO will need to be even higher than those numbers that I've just given you. Higher ISO numbers can result in grainy or noisy photos. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't use a high ISO setting. You can reduce the noise in an image when you're editing, or you can just leave it as it is. I personally love grainy photos in low light, especially when you move them over to black and white. They just look great. If you take a photo and the result is still a little blurry, try turning the shutter speed up even higher. 
you'll need to turn the ISO up to match so that you can balance the meter. Or, instead of turning the shutter speed up, you could try panning as you take the photo. Following the subject can reduce the need for a fast shutter speed, but that might not be possible inside your home. Unless you live in a huge, huge house and the kids are, you know, a long way off, maybe it'll be easier, but in normal size houses, it might not be possible. Okay, so you're going to use continuous autofocus. You're going to use a wide aperture, the widest you can use, a fast shutter speed, and you're going to turn the ISO up to balance the meter and everything should be good. Problem number two is a question I was asked about advertising. Which is the best one to spend your money on, Facebook ads or Google ads? Before you pick one, you need to know how they work. So let's start with Facebook ads. Now, Facebook lets you choose the amount you want to spend daily. It can be as low as $2 a day. It's totally up to you how much you want to spend. You can aim your ads at a geographical area, Facebook groups, or people interested in a specific subject. This method allows you to put your ad in front of thousands of people a day, hoping that a small percentage will click on your ad and then book you. Advertising this way is dependent on how good your image is that you use for the ad. If it doesn't grab people's attention and make them want to find out more about you, it could be a waste of money. To make sure your ads are a success, you need to do A-B testing. For this, you make two different ads and run them both for a week or two. The one that has the most click-throughs wins. The loser is replaced with another ad similar to the winner. Again, you run them for a week or two and so on. Eventually, you'll have an ad that gets lots of new customers and you can stop doing the A-B testing, but some people just keep doing it. They don't stop. They're always trying to improve. So, Google ads. Now, these ads are pay-per-click. Google puts your ad near the top of the search results for keywords that you chose. So when Mrs. Smith does a Google search for family portrait photographer, your ad will be near the top. The price you pay is dependent on the amount of competition for the keywords that you picked. If there are lots of photographers using the same keywords, the price will be higher. It's just a bit ridiculous, but the busier your marketplace is with photographers, that using Google search for advertising, the higher the, the click-through price will be. Now, Google only charges you when someone actually clicks through on your ad. I once spoke, I once spoke with a photographer and they didn't like this other guy that was in the same, uh, he was shooting weddings and he didn't like this other guy. So in his spare time, he used to go and do a Google search and when that guy's ad came up, he used to click on it so it had cost him money. Not a nice person, but it made me laugh. Anyway, these two kinds of ads are totally different. Facebook puts your ad in front of thousands of faces, hoping that someone sees it and will need your services. And Google ads are put in front of people searching for your keywords that you come up with. People using Google search are intent on finding a photographer. They're going out to find one. So they're, they're like pre-qualified, if you like, where the Facebook ads are thrown in front of everyone trying to tempt them. Now, just a heads up, if you're using Google Ads, be specific with your keywords. If you shoot headshots, use headshots and photographer, not just photographer. It's too general. If you don't specify what you do, you'll get people looking for a wedding photographer, clicking on your link, and it's going to cost you money. So make sure you specify exactly what you do in your ad and your keywords. So which one should you pick? 
That all depends on where your audience is. If they're on Facebook all the time, then Facebook ads are the way to go. If you want to put your ads right in front of people that are searching for a photographer just like you, then it has to be Google. So there's nothing wrong with running both types of ads, by the way. So if you can afford it, do it. You'll get more customers. Problem number three came from John on the Facebook group. He posted some photos that had a band across the top. Now, he was using a flash for these images, and the band was caused because the shutter speed was faster than the camera's maximum shutter speed when using a flash, which is normally around 1 200th or 1 250th of a second. If the shutter speed is too fast, the shutter starts to come down as the flash is still firing. The band across the top of the photo was the shutter itself. It cuts out some of the light coming through as it starts to engage. If you need to shoot a faster shutter speed than your maximum that your camera has, you need to use high-speed sync. It's a setting that you change in the camera and also on the flash. This syncs the flash and the shutter so they work together instead of one working fast and one working slow. There is one other safety precaution that you can take in this situation. Check the first photo you take after changing your settings. It'll save you lots of pain and suffering. And I felt John's pain when I saw those images. I thought, oh, I've been there, done that. So change the settings, take a photo, and look at the photo on the back of your camera. It only takes a second, and if it's okay, carry on. If it's not, adjust some settings so that you don't have a problem. In fact, it doesn't need to be when you're just using flash. Check out your photos all the time on any shoot. It's better than getting home and finding out most of your photos aren't usable. It's a terrible feeling. Okay, so that's it for this episode. If you need help with anything, you can find me in the Facebook group or through Facebook Messenger, and I'm more than willing to help you out. Right then, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.